everyone, I'm Max Shannon and I'm lucky enough today to be sitting here with Andy Broth, who's the director of Schroeder's Investment Management. He runs unit trusts including the Schroeder UK Mid 250 Fund and a number of other specialist institutional mandates for Schroeder's and he's very kindly given me some of his time today out of his extremely busy schedule. Andy has over 20 years experience in fund management and manages over £3.5 billion pounds of assets. Um, so Andy, do you mind if I start with some general questions? I hope so. Thank you. We'd all love to know how you got into this business and what the reason was behind it. bought my first share when I was like 18, but I didn't really know that there was this job called fund management. Um, so, because at the time, no one told you there was this great job where you got to gamble with other people's money and get paid loads of money to do it. So I can understand now why it's kind of popular. <laughs> so I was like one of the four graduates in those days who graduated and then went into accounting. And I did sort of four and a half years at Pricewaterhouse. And then this job came up at Schroeder's as an analyst in the research department. And my dad at the time was a Lloyds Bank bank manager. I thought I was absolutely loopy for giving up the security of, you know, Pricewaterhouse and going into the city. Um, I joined Schroeder's in 87 as an analyst, did 18 months, started managing money at um, the start of 1989. So I've done nearly 30 years rather than 20 years. But uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, what does your day-to-day -day life kind of revolve around? What are the favourite things you do? Well, I think uh, as one of my business uh, mentors said to me, yeah, Andy, you know, the problem with common sense is it's not common. And you know, you've just got to think that there's so much information in the world these days that it's very easy just to keep reading and reading and never getting anywhere. You know, what I try and do is I try and keep abreast, obviously, of the news. The market opens at 7 o'clock for results, so I'll be in reading results from that time and then meeting probably, say, three or four companies during the day, maybe having a few cups of teas with people who are from various industries so I understand what's happening in, you know, it could be the communication sector or it could be the wealth management sector or it could be whatever sector. And it's just really making sure that you're trying to spot trends early enough. So it could be the whole sort of internet retailing. You know, we bought ASOS at 50p, patted ourselves on the back, having sold it at £3.50 and saw them go to £70. But it's just really trying to get an understanding of various industries what the outlook for them is because the pace of change in my view across the piece has never been greater and you can see that this week with marks and spencers one of the sort of founders of the footy 100 falling out because actually you know the likes of boohoo have now got a bigger market capitalization and Marcus Spencer's has been replaced by JD Sports effectively in the FTSE 100. So if, if you, whatever industry you go into, you've really got to make sure you understand what the opportunities and the threats are to that particular sector and then what that means for you and your future career prospects. So do you have any tips and advice you could give for people in uni? What's the most impressive thing you look for for an undergrad to get into fund management? I think taking the direct approach, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, handwritten letters. So I will always send people a handwritten letter on the basis that's probably the only handwritten letter they're going to get that month. And in a pile of 
mail and a stack of emails, probably the first thing they're going to read is my handwritten letter. Um, now going on to the fund management kind you of thing. Does Schroeder's have their own definition for small and mid-cap companies, or do you kind of just use the general definition? Uh, well, a small-cap company to us really is one you know, which is in the small-cap index, and that gives you a market capitalization up to about 700 million. And then mid-cap is anything between small-cap and the FTSE 100. So that gives you from 700 million up to probably 5 billion. So you've got a wide range of particular <laughs> companies to look at. Do you think now is a, is a good time to invest, or would you, as director, wait and hold off? Well, I think when you look at that, when you look at it, there's always cheap stocks to buy. You know, the problem is, is that because people are so fixated on volatility, and what do I mean by that? You know, price, share prices going up and down, then they buy something at a pound, and then they panic because the next minute it's 97p. Mm. Well, actually, you buy it at a pound because you think in five years' time, you might be worth two pounds. Exactly. So, you know, I'm a big fan of the Warren Buffett argument that you, know, you buy a share and it's a bit like buying the company. So, yeah. you know, when you look at it, you know, everyone's sort of jumping up and down, whether you're a lever or a remainer or whatever. Um, then, actually, let's look at the facts. One million jobs created in the UK since the referendum. Wage increases, outstripping inflation. Um, and actually, the UK economy is in pretty good shape. And yet the UK market is the cheapest in the world because everyone's actually fixated about Brexit. So from my point of view, um, we have been increasing exposure to various shares because actually we think what we've seen already with the trends for the bids for Green King, Imarsat and others is likely to continue because UK assets are cheap compared to other world markets. Going back to the Brexit um, point, do you think because everyone's selling off uh, at the moment, do you think that this has created a lot of opportunity for small and mid-cap funds? Because they, investors might think that these small and mid-cap companies don't necessarily have the resources to bounce back. So you, you have to ask yourself, why do, why do people buy shares? Yeah. To make money. They buy shares to receive a rising stream of dividends from a rising stream of earnings, yeah. which over time should be reflected in the capital value. Yeah. As I repeatedly tell my 83-year-old mum, and she phones me up and tells me that the share price has gone down. Yeah. And I then send her off to look at her tax return so she can look at how much income she's got this year compared to last year. And so when you look at it, actually, that is why people are buying shares. You know, At the moment, you can buy the, Austri the Austria 100-year bond, which was issued at 100 euros, and you can buy it for 186 euros, knowing that in 100 years you're going to get back 100 euros. Now, this is utter, utter madness. I've never seen this in my whole investing career, where actually people go to bonds to make money and equities for yield. Yeah. Normally it's completely the other way around, but we've got such a fear factor in a distorted index. You know, we could be, we are probably in the greatest bond bubble the world has ever seen. Yeah. Wow. And as a result, I think, you know, it's not going to take much for people to suddenly say, hold on a minute, you're buying the Austria 100-year Austria bond at 186, and you're only going to get back 100. Well, what sort of madness is that? And that is the world we're in at the moment. Do you think, um, I, I, I saw in Bloomberg a few days ago that German 10-year yield has hit its lowest um, 
You're paying you them. You're, you're paying them to borrow money. So in, in, in the, if you look at uh, banks, for example, if you're a euro bank in the European market, you are currently being charged 0.4% by the ECB mm. to deposit your money because you're so afraid to lend it to someone. Mm. Well, it's quite hard to get the economy going, as the Japanese will tell you, unless you lend money. You know, what's the next stage? Is do they end up like the Japanese owning great chunks of the equity market? Yeah. You know, 1767, Voltaire, I wasn't around at the time, even though I'm quite old, but Voltaire in 1767 said paper money always returns to its intrinsic value. So you keep printing it. Yeah. You know, the stock market is about two things demand and supply. Yeah. Shares go up because more people want to buy them, and they go down because more people want to sell them. Mm. At the end of the day, that is why it's called a market. Now, if you're going to print loads more money, that's got to find a place. At the moment, it's in the Austria 100-year bond market or the negative 16 trillion of bonds around the world mm. that are paying negative rates. Sooner or later, people are going to say, hold on a minute, the world's not ending. Population's growing. Demand's still there. Um, I'll go and buy an equity yielding 5%, growing at 10%. That's not a bad bet. But people are so scared at the moment. Um, you mentioned Warren Buffett and... At this very moment, I'm reading the Buffettology, and he's massive on competitive advantage. What's he called? He calls it the moats, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah. And he um, and I was just wondering, with smaller mid-cap funds, you know, they're extremely dynamic and they're using technology to their advantage. But don't you think, because there's such a large amount of smaller mid-cap companies. Um, you know, there's not necessarily a, a competitive advantage to... Yeah, for, for a lot of companies, there isn't a competitive advantage, you know. You need to find the ones that do. Yeah, but even for large companies, you know, when, when I was your age, uh, the most common conversation I had with my dad was him yelling at me, get off the phone, you're costing me a bloody fortune. Now, no, everyone thinks, well, 25 quid a month or whatever, you know, endless phone calls, texts, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever it is, completely changed so you'd have said then BT had a moat yeah Vodafone had a moat because they're the first people in yeah now they're just commodities yeah, you've yeah. got to think uh. you've got to think what's changed in your lifetime right since you've been on the planet Apple's gone from something people used to put in a lunchbox to everything that begins with I yeah yeah you lot have probably never heard of the Encyclopedia Britannica but some <laughs> poor person had to carry 24 volumes of those around door to door and that was that was our Google yeah, of course. So, you know, the world has just changed dramatically. So you've got to look for companies that fit this new environment. I think what would be really interesting is to know the breakdown of sectors in your in your fund. Okay. Well, if you look at, if you compare, the FTSE 100 is dominated by four big sectors. Yeah. Right? It's sort of banks, uh, miners and oils pharmaceuticals and sort of telcos to a degree. So it's a bit like my old Triumph Spitfire, four cylinders, very hard to get it going altogether. So banks do well one day, pharmaceuticals do badly and vice versa. When you get down into the smaller mid cap, you haven't got any big banks, you haven't got any big miners, you haven't got any big pharmaceuticals, you haven't got any big telcos. So you've got a much broader spread between house builders, retailers, engineering, other financials, Etc. Etc. So a much more wider spread, uh, much more interesting collection of companies to choose from. I'd argue. Which 
sectors since Brexit have been performing the best and the worst? Well, uh, the, day after, the day after Brexit, anything domestically collapsed, right? Yeah. Because people said that's it. Yeah. And everything overseas because of the currency translation increased dramatically. Well, actually, since then, the domestic things, companies have come back. So, for example, pets at home, share prices doubled since Brexit. Wow. So, every Christmas Day, I go in the sea in Cornwall, just off Gwythian, and I come out, and the first thing I do is I do an annual dog count on the beach. It's quite hard because they're running around, and you know, but this year, compared to last year, there's approximately 7.6% more dogs than the previous year. And you just think of all the ancillary spends. And when you talk to the people, one lady confessed that she just spent 150 quid on a foam memory mattress for her pet for Christmas. So, and that's it. So you find out where people are spending the money. Yeah. Check the shares are a reasonable value yeah. or cheap. Buy the shares, share price doubles. So all I've done is count the number of dogs on the beach in Cornwall and talk to the people and looked, visited a couple of stores and just see what the management are doing. Simple. Yeah. Because people spend a fortune on their pets. When investors invest in large cap companies, yeah. going, to, going to management and talking with them so they can get a better understanding of the company and their future aspirations and their financials, do you do the same with smaller mid-cap companies? Is it as important? Well, you it's quite interesting. You know, Warren Buffett would say, always invest in a company that could be run by monkeys, because invariably one day it will be. Yeah. So you know, you're looking at the strength of the underlying company, but given it's so fast moving, we, you know, that's why we see three or four companies a day from different areas. Wow. Do you consider small and mid-cap long-term investments, or do you just exploit their maximum growth in themselves? Well, you know, basically, I would, even though I'm not an Arsenal fan, I would call it the, the, the sort of Arsenal Wenger School of Fund Management. So what we try and do is find a company before anyone else. We let other people discover it through their performance. And then when we think it has run out of ability to perform, we sell it. So the great man bought Thierry Henry from Juventus, who was a winger, yeah. reinvented him as a centre forward, had an amazing career, mainly against Tottenham, my team, I hate to say. And then when he felt his powers were waning, he sold him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that is what we're trying to do. Exactly. What, what returns have the smaller mid-cap companies gotten in the last year, five, ten, compared to large-cap companies? I haven't got the figures at hand, but I've got one small-cap fund that I've run for 30 years. And that fund over 30 years has delivered a return on average of 10% per annum. Wow. How do you mitigate or manage your risks and losses? Because, you know, smaller mid-cap firms have higher risk. They have higher risk. Well, first of all, try and buy ones that aren't going down. Okay. Right. And, and if, you, if you think the story's changed or the quality of accounts has gone down, then sell the shares immediately. So even, even through, you didn't, you didn't sell any before Brexit because you still think that they're going to... Yeah, but that, that, the Brexit's a, a one-off thing, right? Hopefully, can't go through it again. Um, um, it's a one-off thing. Here it's more about companies where actually they've 
had problems which you've spotted in the numbers and you've sold the shares that's what you've got to do you know you've got to make sure that the companies themselves are reporting and that's why accounting is a is a very good skill to have in this area do you sell short in your funds as no, well we don't we don't do short i'm not i'm not bright enough for that what have you seen the big short yeah so the other day i saw um michael burry com recently comparing index funds to subprime cdos um, and that he said huge, that there were huge inflows of passive index funds um, which are resulting in distorting prices for stocks and bonds uh, of which the CDA purchases did for subprime mortgages. Um, and I was just wondering what you thought of that statement. Well, the great thing about a passive fund, it, has, it doesn't look at the valuation, does it? All it does is look at the, the size of the company. And say right, the bigger it's a percentage of the index is, the more I have to own. And then passive funds have no requirement to have cash holdings. Yeah. And so okay. actually, you know, I'll have a buffer if someone wants to redeem some units. Then hopefully I'll have some cash to cover that. Yeah. But in the meantime, we'll have um, you know a passive fund which just have to sell the shares, and then it becomes a smaller part of the index, so they have to sell more shares. Yeah. So just as they drove them up, they could. The point he's making is they drove them up. It's before selling means they drive them down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you think that Mark Carney's statement saying that house prices are going to fall 35% and inflation is going to spike and you know unemployment is going to increase, GDP will fall, you know, 8% by 2021. All, all I'm going to say is that I wrote to Mark Carney after that statement came out under the Freedom of Information Act, yeah. asking if I could see his workings. He doesn't come back to me. I also read the, uh, the other day that Ray Dalio said, apart from the fact that the definition of recession is two quarters of negative growth, yeah. he also um, mentioned that you, you know, a country also needs a large wealth gap, a absence of effective central bank policies. Do you think that's you know, accurate to say, or do you think that in this case it might be a combination of Hong Kong, the trade war, you know, EU slowdown. Well, there's, there's loads of debt around the world that's going to be, you know, refinanced at some point. So do you write off the debt and start again? No. Does that mean the gold price goes up? You know? Yeah. So the Americans are saying, you know, we're beating the Chinese. Well, if American GDP slows, does Trump not get elected? And then the Democrats come in. The great thing about fund management is it's never boring. Just when you think... Yeah. You know, the world, you don't wake up and think, oh, Christ, that's what a great day. The world's a safe place. <laughs> there, was, there was another last section where it's just one word answers. Mm -hmm. um, and it's only two questions. And one of them was, do you think that the UK and the EU will, will be in a recession by the end of 2020? No. That's and the like other not, one? But not both of them, no. And the other one was, if you were to put your money into one, only one asset class, at this very moment between stocks, bonds, commodities and derivatives, what would it be? It would be stocks. I think that's a given. <laughs> I know, because you know, if you can get 4 or 5% return on your money and you think those companies are growing and the dividend is going to grow over time, which gives you a hedge against inflation, yeah. you put it in cash, you're, you know, you're going to be down 2% by the end of the next year, aren't yeah. you? Yeah. Thank you so much, Andy.